Hi, welcome to Witch Witch's Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Regina. And I'm Derek. And today we're going to be talking about a couple of our favorite Disney villainesses and how they are actually witches. So Regina, tell me about one of your favorite Disney villainesses and how they are a witch. Who are you talking about today? I'm going to be talking today about Maleficent from the classic Disney film Sleeping Beauty, also of the film titled after her name, Maleficent, from 2014, starring Angelina Jolie. She is a quote-unquote evil witch-slash-fairy. I'm going to be speaking mostly about the 2014 film, just because she is such a minor, a major but minor character in the original film Sleeping Beauty. Essentially, Maleficent is a fairy who's not invited to the king's daughter's christening. She casts a curse on that baby Aurora that shows woeful ignorance about the way spinning wheels work, either because she's hurt because she wasn't invited to the christening, or because, as in the 2014 version, she's out to exact revenge on the king. I must say, I really felt quite distressed at not receiving an invitation. You're not welcome here. <laughs> oh dear what an awkward situation yeah those sound like good motivations to do wicked stuff yeah uh so let's jump right into our rules of witchiness does maleficent identify as female Yes, Maleficent identifies as female, and this is a thematic concern in the 2014 version of the story that's kind of interesting to me. The reason why she wants to exact revenge on the king in this version is because she feels something for him. He's a farm boy in the beginning of the film, and their friendship evolves into something more. But it never explicitly says it evolves into love or whatever. And he gives her what he calls true love's kiss, but later turns around and in what some could argue is a rape metaphor, but I think that might be a little reductionist, takes her wings from her in order to become king. Now, you could argue that Maleficent is a jilted lover, but that overlooks what I think is the true conflict here, which is Maleficent is a female fairy with power represented by her wings, and that power is taken from her. So the film tells the tale of a man, the king, who is constantly threatened by a powerful woman, Maleficent, who just wants to continue being a powerful woman in her own sphere. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to be bogged down by other people's preconceived notions of what should and shouldn't be. Well, it's interesting because she has her whole realm in the 2014 version called the Moors, and it's very separate from the... I guess the mortal world, the the king, the regular kingdom of men. And they pretty much cohabitate more or less peacefully for a while. I mean, the kings kind of want to take over the powerful fairyland. But the fairies are just like, hey, we're fairies. We're just going to live in this place. It's going to be rad. Maleficent is kind of the strongest, the, the leader. She's super boss. She's got great big wings and awesome horns. And she's just kind of like, yeah, I'm a fairy. I do my own thing. She's an interesting one for sure. I'm glad they gave her her own movie, even if I have yet to see it. Because she seems like she has a lot more story than is told in the original animated film. Yes. It's not perfect. It's problematic in its own ways. But 
it has a lot to offer. Visually, it's really stunning. And I think a lot of the themes that it addresses are pretty sophisticated for children's film, for Disney specifically, because Disney has a long, dark history of portraying female characters in not the best way. So, yeah. Malficent is awesome, and it's a chance to see Angelina Jolie with really emphasized cheekbones. Super sharp cheekbones. You could cut a can on those. Uh, so the second rule of witchiness is that the witch in question practice magic. Can you tell me if and how Maleficent practices magic? She does practice magic. She's a fairy with inherent magical powers, and she specifically uses her magic when she curses the baby Aurora. Okay, so I'm going to take this moment to break down some facts about spinning wheels. Personally, I am a spinner, so I am speaking from first-hand knowledge about the construction of wheels. Right, you have very close familiarity mm -hmm. with this subject. I built my wheel when it came in the mail for me, so I know I know my way around a spinning wheel. And I'm going to assume that Maleficent has zero experience on a spinning wheel because she's a witch, she can conjure clothes herself, you know, no big deal if you curse somebody to be pricked by the spindle on a spinning wheel because you don't realize that the spindle isn't sharp. That's fine. But here's the thing. The king could have educated himself about the way textiles are produced, right? He could have gone to his castle spinners and been like, hey, uh, this baby was cursed by this lady and this is what she said. And then the spinners would be like, lol, king, it's totally cool. Spindle isn't sharp. Side note, in the movies, she pricks her finger on the distaff on the spinning wheel, which is another part of the spinning wheel, which again, isn't sharp. So even if they portrayed the wheels as walking wheels, which have a protruding spindle, which again, isn't sharp, there's about as much chance of getting pricked by that as by the end of a dull pencil. Okay. Honestly, the king could have been like, here, child, let me educate you on the practice of spinning. And if you ever see a sharp spindle, let me know ASAP because that's some cursed right there. Wait, do you think that the king knows how to use a spinning that's wheel? That's why I'm saying he could have gone to his castle spinners. Right? And like educated himself and therefore educated Aurora. Right? That's, but the, that's a big assumption of the king's time and interest level. I'm just saying, if you if there was a curse, like wouldn't you wouldn't you take, you know, wouldn't you take all kinds of precautions? Wouldn't you want to learn about the curse and the parameters of the curse? And maybe that's just me. I'm just thinking strategically about but you are a far more responsible parent <laughs> than the king. I well, yes, I should I hope so. Because the king is like, no, burn all the spinning wheels. And that leads me to the true curse, Maleficent cast, which is to make the king and Aurora just slightly dumber than the pre the peasants who make their clothes. It's always our downfall, that willful ignorance. All right, moving on to the third rule of witchiness. Can you tell me if and how Maleficent practices feminism? Yes, so this is most relevant to the 2014 version. Maleficent is stripped of her wings, which represent a large portion of her power by the king who seeks to gain power. This makes her revenge hungry and is the impetus for cursing Aurora. None of this is particularly feminist. What is feminist is how, through her desire to see her revenge play out, Maleficent ends up taking care of Aurora, who is living with three other fairies who are mostly incompetent, and Maleficent ends up caring very deeply for Aurora. When the kiss of some random guy who thinks Aurora's hot doesn't wake her up from her death sleep, it's Maleficent's kiss and non-sexual love that save her. She also ends up getting her wings, Maleficent gets her wings back, in a victory that's seldom seen in films with female characters, and that's pretty great. Wonderful. Yes, non-sexual kisses are always a good time in my experience yeah as long as they're consensual this is also important 
consensual non-sexual kiss play. <laughs> and and that's the other thing that's like really icky about this whole Sleeping Beauty tale is the issue of non-consent and the the dubcon therein. <laughs> yeah, that's creepy. Oh, always unfortunate. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the fourth rule of witchiness. The fourth rule is that the witch in question come from a place of misunderstanding or persecution. Can you tell me how Maleficent is misunderstood or persecuted? Well, if you take the two films, the 1959, I believe, Sleeping Beauty and the 2014 Maleficent, Maleficent is largely misunderstood because she's not actually evil. She's a much more complex character who makes choices fueled by revenge anger, she experiences lots of betrayals, and she isn't bad. She's just drawn that way. I always sort of take issue with that spin on a character because I, I see the appeal of no one is truly evil. Everyone has their reasons and their motivation. But at the same time, we've seen so many instances of like, oh, let's look back on that villain and see why they weren't actually bad that it no longer feels surprising to me, mm. I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have a special place in my heart for this kind of story because the thing that is the most compelling to me about villains is when I can see myself in a villain and when I can empathize with them really deeply. Because if I'm looking at a villain and I don't necessarily understand their choices or I don't necessarily empathize with their point of view, it makes me distrust the hero. Because the hero is coming up against this villain, but why? If I don't, f if I don't feel that connection to the villain, maybe the hero is just another kind of like. Why am I listening to the hero in this respect if I can't understand what the villain is doing? I don't know. That's just me. I like. I like to feel like a monster. <laughs> Maybe it speaks more to my fondness for like the pure villain, the the person who's sort of like, no, no, I'm just a jerk. I know we have that live action Beauty and the Beast coming up, and I really hope they don't try to humanize Gaston anymore. It's like, no, Gaston is just, that's who he is. Mm. He thinks he knows better. He thinks he's the best, and he's going to prove it by like shutting down the beast. I don't really want to hear about Gaston's yeah. childhood. And, and I agree with you. I agree with you. But I feel like even with Gaston, just the way that he's portrayed in that film, you can kind of understand like why he's an arrogant, crazy, misogynistic jerk. Yeah. You know? But the, that understanding of why he is that way is how he has become such an enduring figure. People love what a jerk Gaston is. Exactly. But you understand it. Whereas with Maleficent in the first Disney film, in the Sleeping Beauty film, you don't know why she's so like it it's so Yeah. It's it seems like a really big overreaction for her to be like, I wasn't invited to this party, so now death sleep. Yeah, that's awfully bad. You know, like that's like being in D D and pulling a daily when you're just in an encounter where it's like, Hello, I'm so and so from the tavern and you're like, Daily Throw all the daggers. <laughs> Lightning why? everywhere. Why are you burning that big of a spell slot? You don't even know this guy. True. All right, moving on to the fifth and final rule of witchiness. We ask if the witch in question is bonded to a sentience larger than themselves. Is Maleficent bonded to a sentience larger than herself? Well, here's where I'm going to go off the page a little bit. Okay. There's no overt references to being bonded in the, to a sentience in the films, but Maleficent is a fairy. And there are, is a lot of fairy lore about courts of fairies, the seely courts, the unseely courts, and some speculation that the Tuatha de Danann in the Celtic uh, lore are slash were gods and goddesses. So there could be a chance that while Maleficent is a powerful fae of her own right, she might be bonded to more powerful fairies in the hierarchy of being a fairy. So 
Maybe? Okay, sure. I'll roll with that. When you and I were first talking about this show, we had a lot we had a lot of discussion about this particular rule and like how it's hard to prove, but that it does seem like an integral part of witchiness, kind of. Yes, I think it is because there's that sense of levels of power and something about being a witch is... A witch is not an all-powerful figure, necessarily. You know, a witch is a person or a being, in this case, a fae in this case, who needs to work with other powers. She can't just do everything herself on her own. And that's what makes her compelling is that she isn't completely all powerful. Nothing can stop her. You know, she has to be able to to work with these other forces, these larger forces. And that's what I think makes a witch in in folklore and culture and pop culture so easy to empathize with because you you have to be able to know when you're using your own power and know when you have to say okay my own power is not enough here i need i need to access power from a greater source now derek i have told you about maleficent angelina jolie's cheekbones the anatomy of a spinning wheel tell me what disney witch do you have to talk about today Oh, my personal favorite Disney witch has got to be Ursula the Sea Witch from The Little Mermaid. In my day, we had fantastical feasts when I lived in the palace. And now look at me, wasted away to practically nothing. Banished and exiled and practically starving, while he and his flimsy fish folks celebrate. Well, I'll give them something to celebrate soon enough. If you have not seen The Little Mermaid, oh my god, go see The Little Mermaid. It's one of the greatest Disney movies out there and single-handedly responsible for Disney's resurgence in the early 90s. Ursula, imagine... The top half is a big-boned woman, very much in the 80s style with the shock of hair and the big, thick makeup. And the bottom half is a squid. She's got six tentacles that are like just ready to tear stuff up. And she also has- these... Are there six? There are six. Not eight? She's supposed to be an octopus, but for ease of animation, they made it six. So I think maybe she's really? an octopus and the two arms on top count as appendages. I, I've, ne- I've never counted Ursula's tentacles before, and I feel really good about this knowledge now. Because the bulk of Ursula's story is in the film Little Mermaid, where she is not the star, and she dies in that movie, spoiler, mm-hmm. uh, we don't have a ton of backstory on her. In the original fairy tale The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen, the sea witch was unnamed and more of a plot construct. She wasn't the villain. So Ursula absolutely was established by the Disney writers and directors themselves. We do know from one of the monologues in the film that at one point earlier in life she had lived in the royal palace with King Triton. We don't know what happened there, but we do know that she was banished from the kingdom. And so she basically starts up her own little sub-kingdom in a leviathan and is like, I'm going to start my own kingdom and I'm going to become the queen of the ocean and screw you guys. I'm going home. I'm going to start my own casino (laughs) with hookers and baseball. I don't understand what reference you're making. If you're making a reference. Um, I believe that was a Futurama reference where Bender gets kicked out of a casino and is like, well, screw you guys. I'm going to start my own casino with blackjack and hookers. Nice. Forget the blackjack. (laughs) So yeah, she uses her witchy powers basically to make bargains with people in the kingdom who desire something they can't have. 
And they're always sort of one-sided deals where they will fail and then be turned into a polyp and part of her little kingdom of barnacles because she wants to amass her own kingdom, basically. Right. It's interesting. She's Her story, thinking about her being banished from King Triton's kingdom, it reminds me a little bit of the Lucifer myth. How Lucifer had been... One of the angels. And... Was cast out and became Lord of the Underworld or whatever version of mythology you choose to subscribe to. Yep. It's kind of interesting. I was always a great fan of uh, the Mike Carey run on the Lucifer comic book based off of the Neil Gaiman interpretation of Lucifer. There are a lot of interpretations of Lucifer. There are. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this now so I can put a pin in it for later when I try to make my case for why Ursula is also a Satanist along with the rest of our kid witches. So Yeah, I'm looking so, forward to that. So, so tell, me more, tell me more about Ursula so that I can... You can think about how she might be a Satanist. Yeah, let me give you some time to do that. Yeah. Um, so let's let's dive into the laws. <laughs> let's dive in. Oh, that was terrible. Let's let's dive in. Let's dive in. Does Ursula identify as female? Ursula is definitely female. She's one of the most iconic female Disney villains. Design-wise, Ursula was very much a product of her times with her hair, face, and makeup all clearly inspired by the drag queen Divine. Sadly, Divine died right around the time they entered production on The Little Mermaid, so she never had a chance to be involved in or even see the film. But a lot of the artists close to her, including legendary director John Waters, said that she would have loved it. The film has also been embraced by the same people who were so passionate about the work of John Waters and Divine, primarily because Ursula spoke to generations of queer people who were ostracized for their body types and decided to own it and find strength and power in their bodies and femininity. That's awesome. I think I had heard about that, about Divine, but I, I didn't realize the... The scope of the influence there, that's really cool. Yeah, I think the design process for Ursula started around 1987. Divine died in 1988, and then the film released in 89. So she was not designed as sort of a post-mortem tribute to Divine. It just sort of happened to be at that exact time. Interesting. Well, tell me about the way in which Ursula practices magic. So Ursula definitely does practice magic throughout the film, but they never really dive into where the magic comes from. We see her work on some sort of aquatic cauldron, the way stereotypical witches in like Macbeth do. None of that is explained whether she's talking to a deity of some sort. She's just mixing chemicals and fish stuff. The main instances we see of magic are she has the power to sort of transmute matter. She can make things out of other things using transformational magic. Specifically, she turns Ariel's fin into legs and allows her to breathe by giving her proper lungs and stuff. So she turns Ariel from a mermaid into a human. That's sort of the crux of the film. She also does it to herself, turning herself into a human, but at the same time completely changing her body type to become sort of the ideal human female form. And she calls herself Vanessa. And then, of course, when people don't succeed in the deals that she makes with them she turns them into a little polyp and that's the form they're stuck in for the rest of their lives the undoing of this unfortunately is that while she can change the physical properties of things they're not just illusions she is actually physically thinner and auburn hair and all that but her reflection still shows classic ursula so when they show prince eric the reflection of vanessa in a mirror he sees oh that's not vanessa that's a horrible octopus lady i would also say that another piece of magic that she performs is being able to pour liquids while completely submerged in water 
into another vessel and have those liquids stay contained. That's a bit of magic that I find very impressive. It always seemed to me that the vials of whatever she's pouring were more dense liquids than the liquid around her. And so that is why they would fall. She has a great understanding of chemistry. I feel like if you spent your whole life underwater, you would just become naturally attuned to these things. Mm, this is true. Like There are plenty yeah, of scientists around here that understand which gases are heavier or lighter than our atmosphere mm -hmm. and can use those. So mm -hmm. I imagine it's not that hard for a sea witch to do the same with liquids. But again, I am not an underwater dweller, so mm -hmm. I'm just making mm -hmm. wild assumptions right now. Let's bring it over to the third law. How does Ursula practice feminism, if at all? Arguments could be made for Ursula's feminism in that her ultimate goal in this story could possibly be to prevent Ariel from throwing her life away on a man, but that's a really twisted way of reading the I just want to screw with your dad story that is actually <laughs> Ursula's intent. Yeah, as many attempts as you could make to argue that Ursula practices feminism, you could also argue, no, she does not. She's just a vindictive witch. Which is fine. It's, fine. it's completely fine to want revenge against people who have wronged you. But again, we don't know how she was wronged because that story was never really told. Right. And I don't think, just like Maleficent acts out of revenge, the, the fact that she wants to take revenge on this guy doesn't automatically disqualify her from being feminist. Right. It's totally fine and appropriate to want to exact revenge on someone who's wronged you in a serious way. More power to you. I really like the idea of Ursula kind of being like a guiding force for Ariel to be like, no, 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 listen, honey. This is a terrible idea that you want to throw your whole life away for this guy that you've seen once on a boat. Let me let me help you come to your own conclusion about this. I'm going to bring this back to Satanism. Let's do it. Let me hear if, this. If, in fact, Ursula is practicing feminism in that way by trying to get Ariel to realize the error of her ways and throwing her life away for this guy that she doesn't know which she is almost certainly not well she the way in which she goes about it while a little questionable still implies that she believes in people making their own choices making their own decisions learning mm -hmm. for themselves yes and so she does this in in a really magical a little bit convoluted kind of evil way but you gotta respect that also she's really awesome magic to do that i i have yet to master transmutation yeah transmutation so. is definitely one of the more impressive feats of magic i would say it's one thing to make something just sort of magically appear it's another thing to turn something into something else like if you just sort of reached into thin air and pulled out a bouquet of flowers i would be like oh hey that's neat if you picked up a cat and then waved your hand over it, and it was like a sack of money, my jaw would drop, and I would say, A, how did you do that? B, what happened to the cat? <laughs> and they'd say, the cat is money now. And I would be like, this is amazing. Put those flowers away. How did you make the cat turn into money? Transmutation, very cool magic. Very cool magic. Yeah, and Ursula, questionably feminist. Questionably, indeed. Questionably Satanist as well. Satanist makes more sense to me than feminist, but cases can be made for both. So tell me, Derek, how is Ursula persecuted or misunderstood? 
I would say that Ursula is misunderstood in that Ariel trusts her at all. <laughs> Ursula is clearly up to no good. She has an openly hostile relationship with Ariel's father, King Triton, and she gives off all the telltale signs of malicious scheming. The fact that Ursula betrays Ariel's trust shouldn't be a surprise for anybody, not least of all Ariel herself. When the terms of a wager are either get a man to love you or become my personal slave forever, that's a lousy bet, and you should find another way. Any other way that does not involve making a deal with Ursula the Sea Witch. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that Ariel is not the brightish, brightest glowfish in the school. She's like a burgeoning teenager who has spotted a boy for the first time in her life. Okay, fair. Yeah, so Ariel's yeah. We've all had a situation a akin to that. Yeah, Ariel's yeah. definitely a teenager, definitely shows poor impulse control, inability to accurately assess risks. So, yeah. Yeah, she does not make the best decisions. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, Ariel. While we can understand that, we still get to, like, scream at the TV and be like, what the hell is wrong with you, lady? Go find anything else to do with your life. She does wind up living happily ever after, but it's still a dumb plan. It's kind of a dumb plan. So the final law of witchiness is that the witch in question is bonded to a sentience. Is Ursula bonded to a sentience? So again, we don't have a lot of backstory or mythology around how Ursula does what she does or why she does what she does. So they never make it clear whether she has a god that she speaks to or whether there's a place where she gets her power from. She just kind of is a witch and we roll with it because it's a Disney movie. So I'm going to be a hard <laughs> on this one. Not necessarily no, not really yes, just a solid <laughs> Yeah, same thing with Maleficent. It's a little bit of a... Yeah, I feel like Disney movies very deliberately avoid the topic of gods, with the exception of Hercules, because mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. can't tell the story of Hercules without, here's Zeus. I think that this is a perfect opportunity to bring it back around to why Ursula is a Satanist like the rest of our kid witches. Bring it back. Instead of being bonded to ascensions the way many witches are and or can be, Ursula, taking a left-hand path, is going to the road of self-deification. She's going down the road of here, I come from this background of being with this King Triton. I'm banished from the kingdom. I decide, you know what? I'm going to take my own path. I'm going to make my own kingdom. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to have all these sea polyp guys that I have transmutated. And it's going to be a really great decorating scheme with all my polyps. And again, she obviously believes in learning for yourself in the way that she cons Ariel into possibly learning something about her bad life decisions and uh, crush on a guy with no criteria whatsoever. She also uses a lot of lesser magic, which is something that's in Satanism, lesser magic, where she glamours herself to be more appealing to Prince Eric in order to continue doing her machinations. And again, she's not bonded to a sentience because I think she's trying to aim for self deification and therefore ursula i believe is satanist just like our kid witches that we spoke about a few episodes ago yeah i buy it i totally buy it it makes perfect sense she's when she is cast out of king triton's kingdom she very much tries to build her own 
empire. And I feel like turning her subjects into the polyps makes them so small and dependent upon her that they can do nothing but worship her, basically. And so she very much turns herself into both their queen and their deity. She's trying to make herself feel like a goddess in their purview. Right. And according to Satanism, again, specifically Satanism is codified by Anton LaVey, there's no such thing as a larger sentience whatsoever to be bonded to. It's a completely atheistic philosophy. And I also think that it's kind of cool that her story mirrors the fall of Lucifer so much, which is, again, a metaphor that's used a lot in Satanism because Satan... Ursula was awesome before. Now she is more awesome than I know or that I have had canoned her to be a Satanist, and I know she only has six little tentacles. So now we've we've presented our, our Disney witches today. Who, Derek, if you could choose one and only one, would you invite into your coven, Maleficent or Ursula? While Maleficent has a much more compelling backstory and that she has one at all, I've got to give it up for Ursula. She just seems more fun. Plus, she's got Flotsam and Jetsam, those two electric eels, and they're always a good time. Because I was like raised on that movie, I instantly knew what Flotsam and Jetsam were, and I was like, oh, that must be a nautical term. And so I pulled out the encyclopedia and looked it up, and I was like, oh, that's cute. And then like 15 years later or so, I was watching Project Runway, and Tim Gunn walked into the workroom at one point and was like, what's with all the Flotsam and Jetsam in here? And the designers were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was at home like, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> nice. Because I learned it from watching The Little Mermaid. <laughs> See Ursula once again inspiring learning mm -hmm. like a Satanist. Absolutely. So yeah, I got to give it up for Ursula. She's my girl. While she is inherently evil, as long as you know what you're getting into with her, you're fine. It's going to be a fun time. How about you, Regina? If you could choose one for your coven, which one would it be? I've got a soft spot for Maleficent, I have to say. Especially after seeing the 2014 film and learning some of her backstory. I think she's really great. I really like her awesome horns. She's got really cool magic. And the other thing that I like, which applies to Ursula too, but I love a witch that's not afraid to throw a curse. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want all of my witches to be white light and bunnies, unless they're demon bunnies, of course. Demon bunnies. I like a witch who's ready, willing, and able to use her powers in not necessarily the most white light, nicey-nice way. In the 2014 version of the Maleficent movie, she has a lot of reason why she should be throwing curses around. Plus, she's got other powers that I didn't really get into, like she can make these uh, fairy creatures come to her aid. She's got these, this like wing clap power as she knock people over. She can also do a type of transmutation. She turns this little twig into her uh, elegant staff once her wings are removed and uses it to walk, which makes total sense to me. Like once her wings are removed, she needs that staff to counterbalance her weight after growing up with giant demon wings you know exactly like her legs don't know what to do at this point everything's different right so that's and that's really cool and clever and i have to have to give it up for maleficent with that plus then i can educate her on the mechanics of spinning yep and we can take out some of the more less thought out portions of her cursing repertoire yeah that sounds fair that sounds nice i like that each of us are sticking with the woman we brought yeah and i am really excited 
to see Ursula and Maleficent saunter their way into our favorite after coven night spot, the Cauldron Cabaret. Yes, yes. Well, right off the bat, I instantly see both Ursula and Maleficent getting along splendidly with the Sanderson sisters. I feel like evil witches in general will just instantly flock towards one another tell tales of their evil ways, tell tales of the men who have wronged them, and then, mm-hmm. like, play mild pranks on one another and laugh and say, ha ha ha, you got me this time, but I'm gonna get you putting some Mentos in their Diet Coke or something. <laughs> it wouldn't be Diet Coke, though. It would be uh, something off-brand that the Spellmans have, <laughs> have conjured. Yeah, the Diet Popsy. Diet Popsy, yeah, exactly. I think Ursula would have a really great set on stage for the cabaret. Oh, yeah, She's got all the moves, right? My favorite, my favorite thing is when she sings that song to Poor Ariel. She says souls. something about body language. Yeah, because Ursula asks, like, what can I, how can I communicate with him without my voice? And she goes, oh, there are other ways to communicate, young lady. And that's part of the, when I when I told some friends I was going to do Ursula, they were like, oh, but that song is so misogynistic. She talks her, tells her how to, like, use her body to get a man's attention. And I was like, that's the most feminist thing about her. That is the most feminist thing. And again, it's also a very satanic witch thing to do, mm-hmm. to be like, I'm going to use what I got mm-hmm. to bend people to my will it's great Mm -hmm. she really uses those tentacles in that song body language Mm -hmm. yeah poor unfortunate souls is one of the highlights of like 90s disney musicals Mm -hmm. i think that our x-men are really going to get along with maleficent just because maleficent is big old fairy big old wings and horns and the x-men are going to be like you look like one of us perhaps join us at our table and learn about a hell dimension from magic, right? You know, and, that's true. Uh, Ilyana, Aurora, and Maleficent can all sort of commiserate on being a form of fallen royalty. Yes, there you go. Like, oh, in my day, I was the goddess of Africa. Well, in my day, I was the queen of hell. I right? was the queen of the fairy realm, and I still am because I'm Maleficent and I'm awesome. I think Hermione would be fascinated by Maleficent, if a little scared. I feel like Hermione would try to, like, befriend Ursula, thinking that she could solve the mystery of what's wrong with her. (laughs) Maybe. That seems like a Gryffindorish thing to do. I feel like she would see Ursula akin to the same way she sees, like, the ghost in the bathroom. Yeah, Moaning Myrtle. I think our kid witches would have a great time. Really? I think they'd be terrified. Listen, Ursula is a Satanist, so she would get along with both Kiki and Matilda. Mm. Plus, Maleficent is, as we learned in the movie of her name, actually kind of a softie. Okay. So she would like really take care of them and make sure that Ursula didn't do anything terrible like lure our kid witches into a bad legal situation. I just don't want anything bad to happen to Kiki. I know. I feel very protective of Kiki. But you know what? She's smart. She's clever. She, she is. She's a clever feet. girl. I think that she'll be fine. I'll take your word for it. I'm going to be uneasy about it for the next hour or so. <laughs> okay. Well, that about wraps things up for this episode of Which Witch is Which. Now that you've heard what we have to say, what do you think? Who would you invite into your coven? Let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast. That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. Do not anger the Elder Gods. Subscribe to Witch Witches Witch on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever your pods may be cast. Until then, remember, there's nothing on a spinning wheel that can actually hurt you. Unless it's on fire. <laughs>